How does an actor, stand-up, free-thinking daughter of theatre, dropped in the middle of an unhinged fringe up in Edinburgh by Providence when improv's thought improper, grow up to be a hero and a showstopper? Find out in this week's episode of Yes Bot with special guest Ruth Bratt. Hello everyone and welcome to YesBot, the podcast that is about both improvisation and building robots, but mostly about improvisation. Uh, If you haven't heard the show before, the setup's pretty easy. A while ago I found a robot in the woods behind my house. Uh, It was a a kind of a derelict robot, but I have some skill. Uh, I'm an improviser and an amateur roboticist. My name's Chris Mead, by the way. Nice to have you listening to my show. Uh, So anyway, I dragged this robot home and patched it up. And I realised, to my delight, there was a very rare model, an ImprovBot 5000, a model that is made to improvise. But it needs to be programmed. There are five slots on its back uh, that take, like, Nintendo 64 cartridges. And each one can hold one line of code, one rule of improv. Uh, So what I've done is I've decided to go on a quest to build the absolutely perfect example the platonic ideal of an improviser and i've enlisted some of the best improvisers in the country and indeed the world to program this robot and see if we can create an amazing performer uh so five slots that's all we've got and this week we've got an amazing guest my guest is ruth bratt hooray hello 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 <laughs> thanks so much for coming on my podcast thanks for having me um, I know you've been eyeing up this trunk that I have with me. Yes. So let me reveal the pod, uh, the podcast. No. no, let me reveal the robot. Oh, here it is. <gasps> Pretty good. Pretty derelict. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. it's recently exploded. I've had to put it back together. Okay. I'm afraid last week it did not work out. <laughs> so uh, That's the problem sorry. with info. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, patched it back together, and I think it's. I think. It's going to work this time. I've got a good feeling about it. Yeah, well, I really hope so, because it's so nice of you to be on the show. Um, Before we start, can I ask you to introduce yourself for a a bit further? Uh, Hello, I'm Ruth Brass. I'm a performer. Uh, I never really know what to call myself. Never know. Uh, Improviser, actor, never actor, no. Uh, Writer, performer. Performer just seems to cover... All of it. Yeah. Uh, so I do Showstopper the Improvised Musical. Yes, you do. Um, and uh, just started a new thing uh, with uh, Carrie Ad Lloyd, Pippa Evans and Josie Lawrence called the Glenda J Collective, which is a lot of fun. I can imagine. Uh, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and yeah, we're just sort of seeing where that can go. Um, and uh, I sort of, I guess I kind of make my living through improv now, mostly. And other performance too, you know, TV, radio, you know, <laughs> yeah. a polyglot. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, is that I, the word polyglot. I mean, it sounds like a lovely word. That's, it means a lot of something. That's what presumably. I'm going to be a, a glut, a polyglot. <laughs> <laughs> so simple enough. Let me turn over the robot, show you the back. So there's just these five slots. That's all we have for information. I know we would prefer to program it a lot better than that, but it only takes five lines of code. Um, so we just uh, here are your five cartridges. <laughs> here they you are. Just speak into them, oh, and that programs them, and then you, we put them in the back. Amazing! Uh, it's sort of a, a marriage of high and, and low technology, <laughs> <laughs> and then you get to name it, and then we switch it on. Oh, and then we'll do some scenes if it works. Although I have to say, it hasn't worked yet. It could. It could. <laughs> it could. <laughs> it could. Today is the day it could. <laughs> oh, fingers crossed. Yeah. I see you have a list here. Yes, I've got a very high tech. Uh, post-it note because uh, this is a thing I've realised as an improviser uh, I don't remember things very well so if someone asks me something I go yeah yeah I'll do that and then it doesn't happen Uh, and I always have that thing where you you say oh yeah I'll remember that list of things that I said I'd talk about and then I can't I mean a post-it is fit for purpose right yeah it's a very it's a very bright one 
it's not overkill. It's not underkill. No, it's just, just right kill. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It shows that I've thought about it a little bit, but not too much. Yeah, <laughs> because we still want room for kind of yeah, well, improvising, exactly. I guess is the word. Rule number one. I'm going to give it attention, not tension. Oh, oh you've got wordplay. I've got wordplay. <laughs> I know. So that started when I was... Uh, my first, I started teaching impro at my old drama school about, I don't know, three years, four years ago, four years ago. Like I've, been, I've been improvising for a long time, but I never felt like I could teach it. Right. And then, I'd, oh, I know exactly what it was. It was 2010 and I was in Edinburgh with Sean and we were up before anyone else. I don't know why. But there were just the two of us in the flat and uh, I was sitting in his room singing to him and he was like, please, <laughs> please go and do something useful. <laughs> like, stop. And uh, and I went, oh, I'm going to go and write to my old drama school and see if they want someone to teach improv. And he went, good, go and do that. And so I did, thinking, oh, they never will. And then I got a, I got an email back almost immediately with them going, yeah, we'd love it. And I went, oh, no, now I have to do something. Uh, so when I came, when we got back from Edinburgh, I started teaching there. And, uh, and I've just realised that as soon as you say to students, uh, focus and listen and pay attention and all that stuff they immediately get tense right and so and it, it happens when you are just playing sound ball you can see it in their shoulders and in their hands and in the, and i was like so you just got to pay attention but without tension and then i was like oh that's actually really good so now it's become a little catchphrase fantastic for all my students attention not tension so Pay attention to what's happening around you, but just don't freak out about the fact that you have none of these things anymore. No script, no, that's Yeah, you just have to, it, yeah, and it's that thing of, as soon as you say to someone, pay attention, and I think it's got to do with how we're taught as kids, mm. you know, you immediately are like kind of, there's like a, an actual tension in your body that like somehow if you're really tense, that's going to make you hear things better. <laughs> so the, actually, the more relaxed you are, the better you will hear things. Commence listening yeah. and that kind of <laughs> yeah, exactly. cobbling cool. over. Uh, so it's really just about the relaxation of it. If, you, if, you're paying, if you're actually paying attention, you're not tense. Because if you're tense, it means you're thinking about something other than the thing that is happening. Mm. Um, so the tension just shows that you are not present in the moment. So it's a mindfulness almost. Yeah, kind of. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that. A lot of that new agey nonsense does actually have connections with improv, I think. Because obviously you do improv like this massively high level. You've performed at the West End and done mm. it. How how do you not feel tense? Um, I don't know, really. I think there are definitely days when you feel tense. Mm. De definitely. I mean, you know, when there's when it's like high stakes and you're just like, oh, God. You know, I mean, the first the first show we did in the West End was kind of kind of terrifying sure. not even kind of terrifying just terrifying just but straight out yeah mm. uh, but also exhilarating but uh i think you can trick your body if you are relaxed in your body if you make your body relaxed you can trick your mind sure you know it's like when you smile for a really long time and then eventually you can go oh no i am really smiling or you know laughter if you do fake laughter for long enough and sometimes it does take a really long time <laughs> but <laughs> do fake laughter for long enough you will actually start laughing sort of psychosomatic yeah. sort of view or like a placebo effect almost. almost yeah so i think so i mean there's definitely and you know it's not like you can always be you can always be relaxed no. you're never always going to be relaxed and the but more you tell yourself yeah, yeah. Relax. Relax. relax um but the more you are aware of your lack of relaxation um you know, so you can just go, oh, I'm not relaxed, but be relaxed about your tension. It's I, a ninja I, mind trick yes, you're talking it is. about there. Yeah. Because yeah. if you go, oh, God, I'm tense, I'm so tense, I've got to stop being tense, I've got to stop being tense, then all you're going to do is get tenser and tenser. Whereas if you go, oh, I'm a bit tense today, okay. Yeah. Because then your relaxation about your tension means that that is then not a, a barrier into, you know, doing good work. I have just started doing Headspace, the uh, the meditation oh, app. Oh, yeah. And they have an animation about this, and they say it's sort of like you're looking at the sky, and there are clouds in the sky, but you're not looking at the clouds, you're looking at the sky. The clouds are just there, and they'll pass by. So I guess tension is like the clouds. You're like, oh, yes, there is tension there, but I'm looking at the glory of the the sky, so yes. I don't, you know, that's okay sort yeah. of thing. I think that is what it is. So it's, and also, so the attention is also to... Not not only to what is going on around you, but what's going on inside you, so that you are aware of 
your tensions or, you know, am I tired today or am I, which is why a lot of it does um, fit into the whole um, meditation thing because, mm. you know, a lot of people do, when they do meditation, they're like, oh God, I couldn't meditate very well today. And you're like, but that's, that's part of the meditation is being aware <laughs> of where you are in the meditation, right? As far as I understand it, um, it's that you're just aware of where you are. So you just have to be aware of those things and pay attention to them, but don't let them affect you in a negative, screwy way. And it's and the more you do it, presumably. Yeah, the more you do it. I mean, there's no shortcuts to any of this stuff. So I started doing impro by mistake about, uh, <laughs> like, literally, uh, in, I think, 2003. Uh, a friend of mine was doing a show in Edinburgh. And he went, do you want to come and be in my impro show for a day? And I went, yeah, go on. <laughs> well, little did you know. Little did I know. Uh, and that was it. Oh, wow. And so my first impro experience, like proper, was in front of an audience. And I just went, oh, well, this is a lot of fun, isn't it? I'll um, be doing this again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think it's kind of, the longer I've done it, I mean, weirdly, when I first started doing it, I just enjoyed it because I didn't, I didn't know any of the rules. I didn't know any of the principles. I didn't know anything. I just went, all right, so I just go on and make some stuff up. Okay. Yeah. And then th th there's a kind of, double whammy like the more you do it the more you realize how hard it should be uh but also the more comfortable you are with the fact that you're not yeah perfect i've always found it really interesting that what you start an improv class and they will go okay so improv is about being free truly free on stage you can do anything here are 30 rules about improv that you need to internalize yeah so yes but, but that's the thing like and they talk about them as if they're easy like you know like the first thing you're taught is say yes i don't mm. teach that's the first thing anymore i don't even mention the word yes because actually saying yes is really hard it's like the hardest thing we ask people to do mm. and so but it's it's presented as like rule number one here you go, Say guys. Because yes. <laughs> that's terrifying. Yeah, and, and what to say yes to? Are you saying yes to what the character wants, what the improviser wants, what, what the scene you, needs? What you want? <laughs> what, what might, yeah, what the, yes is like a... And also, because then you have to then go back on it and go, but there is a great lot of power in the word no. <laughs> you know, and it, it just becomes very uh, heady, very headspace mm. for something that is constantly trying to get you out of your head. Um and that, that that to me is is the hardest thing to teach, and it's the because you can't you can't teach you can't teach someone to, to relax, it. you can't teach someone to be sensitive, you can't they just have to feel those things. So I kind of try and come at it from the the back. And go, yeah. Okay, how do we get into that so that you're in a headspace where you could say yes? Rule number two. I don't think there is a single problem in impro that can't be solved by listening, not a single one. Anytime you talk about a show that's gone a bit squiff or a scene that's gone a bit awry, it's always at the root, it's listening. Yeah. And listening, again, again we, you talk about it like, you know, just listen. It's so hard. It's so hard to listen. But you know when, when you're in a scene with someone who is listening. Yeah, oh, you really do. It feels so different, uh, It's so it? wonderful when someone's... That properly listening to you and when you're properly listening to someone see that i think that's the the interesting thing like you know so much of it we sort of go because our egos get in the way and and all those things but actually all, all the things that are generous feed your own ego as much as they feed the other person's like i love listening yeah. i love it i'd much rather listen actually in life than talk I, i'm not a very uh in social situations i'm not i'm not very outgoing i am when i know people oh, yeah of course but like you know at parties and so i don't go to parties anymore uh, <laughs> just, i'm not very good at them yeah i can't come in and like command a room hey, yeah. <laughs> and i think people think you're going to because you're an improviser, you're an improviser yeah. and that's what you're, like. you're like no that's what i'm like there but when i'm off stage i'm you know i'm a loud loud person with the right people yeah absolutely but in a in a room of you know, strangers or not many people I know, then I will sort of be quite quiet. Yeah. I want people to have given me permission to be allowed and entertaining. Yeah. Either that's, you know, by paying money to come and sit in a dark room and watch me on stage <laughs> yeah. or by being my friend for many years. Yeah. Those are both kinds of permission to let me be 
that person yeah rather than just you know someone who's polite and yeah you know. absolutely i feel yeah. exactly the same yeah. way <laughs> but i do think i've always been a bit of a listener so that sounds weird uh but apparently when i was a kid my mum told this story not long ago um when i was about four uh she remembers it quite really vividly there were, i used to come into rooms but very quietly and I'd open a door and I'd walk sort of nearly into the room and then I'd work out whether I wanted to be in there or not from what people were saying and then if I didn't I would really slowly back out I've seen the improvisers do exactly that <laughs> <laughs> do I want to be in this seat no no, no. no. <laughs> they can have it they can have that you can carry on with that um so apparently that's that's what I used to do uh, as, a, as a child. So I think it's kind of an instinctive thing mm. in me anyway. But I, I just think listening helps. It just helps everything. Well, it's the connective tissue, isn't it, between two improvisers? I heard someone, oh, they described it the other day, like when we're improvising and listening, then we're thinking with two brains rather than one. Oh, and nice. we can think bigger thoughts, thoughts that we would never be able to think with any one of those brains. It's like networking and the networking cable is... I'm going to listen to you and everything you say is important and ev and it's going to affect me, yeah. what you say. Well, I mean, that's the biggie. And so, so and, and this is why I think the word listen is really important because you're not just listening with your ears and your head and you're, you're listening with your body and you're listening with your, with your emotional responses and, you know, uh, and you're also listening to yourself. Like, again, it comes back to the attention thing. Mm. You're just listening to you and to them, and to the audience, and to the, you know, your antennae are on, like, high alert constantly. It's why sometimes, I don't know if you ever find this, after a show, like when, like a long show, or we had it a lot in the West End when we'd done um, the matinees and then the evening shows, and we'd come out uh, of the stage door into, you know, Soho, basically, mm. and it was like an assault uh, on all of your senses because your antennae are so finely right, tuned yeah. and they're so alert and they're so alive because you've been listening like f physically and uh, mentally and emotionally listening for four hours and then you come out into London and it's like wow yeah it's uh, like an open nerve isn't it it's like yeah yeah yeah, no, I have had that. Uh, and the, But you can kind of burn that out. I've also gone the other way. Yeah. I've come out and been like, I just can't. I've got tunnel vision. And I just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like nothing works anymore. That's definitely that. Oh, man. Cool. What does it do to you? What does this do to us? This art form. Yeah. Yeah. It's destroying us from the inside. No, it's not. It's, it's not a wonderful, lovely. wonderful thing. And we're giving that gift to the robot too. So yeah. uh, rule number two is listen. Listen. As Beyonce says. Is it Beyonce? Does Beyonce say this? I'm sure she does. She says, listen to my music. She does. At least. I think it's, uh, isn't it in uh, Dreamgirls? Listen, I'm alone at a crossroads. Yeah, too much musical theatre. <laughs> Sorry. I am of the opinion that there can never be too much <laughs> musical theatre. So don't worry about that at all. Rule number three. Do something. Great. Yeah, that's my next one. Do something. Doesn't matter what. Just do something. Like top of the scene? Yeah, top of the scene, in the middle of the scene, all the time. Just do something. Because a lot of the time, you're kind of worried about whether you're doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, it's a, you know, you often see uh, newer improvisers either kind of being paralysed by their own doubt or, um, or sort of starting to do something and then backtracking on it or not ever being committed to a thing. Um, you know, so they'll kind of go oh well I, I would do that but you know it's the the Keith Johnson never getting to the island thing mm -hmm. when you tell people to go to an island they never they get never there. get to the island yeah. whereas if you do something you get to the island then you can do more things yeah there's more than, things open to you yes rather than discussing how you're going to get to the island um and there's no because we all talk about you know there's no right there's no wrong I mean the, the way we look at it um, in Showstopper, this comes from mostly from Adam, is that there is uh, useful and less useful. Right. So there's no right or wrong, but there are definitely some things that are going to be more useful <laughs> and helpful. And then there are other things that are, well, might well, make it a bit harder. Might make it harder. I mean, there's still a thing. So it's still a, you know, you're still going to go somewhere. It's just maybe not the easiest route to mm -hmm. wherever you're going to get in the end. Uh, but as long as you do something, then there's something to do next. Whereas if you don't do something, then there's nothing to do next because you haven't done something. 
Yeah. So I think that's kind of my, yeah. Do just do something. Do anything. I it's when I I don't side coach much, but if I ever do, it's generally me shouting, <laughs> "Do something." <laughs> Uh, either yes you do or do something those are the two things i i shout the most from uh, that's a good bit of psych coaching yeah Yeah, just do something because it doesn't matter what and and it is just a kind of if you do something now then we have somewhere to go if you don't do something now we're all going to sit here for another five painful painful minutes and and content begats content right so you do something your partner then has something to comment on it might be it might not be what you expect yeah the way you do it or exactly and emotion well and you're and the way you do something is not necessarily read by other people as the way you mean it Mm -hmm. so it opens up things for everybody so i remember one edinburgh we did a uh what was it called? Oh, Hobnocker Prom, it was called. It was really, it was a great show. And it started with uh, me and Oliver, uh, Oliver Senton, on the stage. And he he was clearly the teacher and I was clearly the student. And he said something to me and I said, yes, Mr. Johnson or whatever his name was. That was literally all I said. But the audience heard something in the way I said it and reacted. And I went, oh, they think I'm in love with him. Right. Oh, Okay. So then I was in love with him. But if I hadn't said yes, Mr. Johnson, and done something that I didn't even know I was doing, then that whole story wouldn't have happened. Right. But the whole story came from that one interchange that you'd go, but, but it wasn't anything, but it was something. And that goes back to listening, right? You yeah. were open to Open be, to what the audience yeah. was saying. Because I was like, because if I, Oliver didn't think I was doing that either, but they did. So I was like, all right. Oh, okay. Okay, there we are. That's the thing. So it's the... The something can be something tiny mm-hmm. that you don't even realise you're doing. But you have to then, yeah, go back to listening. Did I do that? Oh, I did do that. Okay. And that particular story fascinates me because I feel like the relationship between the performer and the audience, you know, in what we do, it's so much stronger. Yeah, and it's vital. You can't, you know, you can't, you can't do it without them. Otherwise, what, why, why are you doing it? You then, you're, then you're, you know, you probably need to melt. Yeah. <laughs> Just standing in your house singing a no. song about chickpeas. Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. I imagine you do do that. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Yeah. People always used to ask us, do you make up songs at home? We'd be like, no. And then there was one day we were here and I was singing a song about, oh, I don't know, walking up the stairs or something. And I was like, oh, yeah, all yeah, the time, do do all that. the time. Yeah. Uh, but I do think the audience is, and our, our relationship to the audience is so sort of vital and, and interesting and the things we do that we don't even know we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did a show last week in Leicester and uh, a lady who was in the audience wrote a blog about it and she'd, she'd tweeted us quite a lot after the show. But I read the blog and it really... Uh, it was very moving. She'd brought her son, who uh, I gather from the blog is autistic, and of course that doesn't that doesn't make any difference to us. It makes no difference because we're asking the audience to shout out. Mm. And she was saying, you know, you, you were so kind to him, and you you know you took his ideas in, and we're like, well, that's what we do. So we didn't actually treat him any differently from anyone else in the audience, but maybe that in itself was something important because normally he is treated. As something different in the audience, yeah, and Whereas even in, when it's positively, it, positive discrimination is still discrimination to a certain extent, right? Exactly. Mm. Whereas we were just talking to him in exactly the same way that we would talk to anyone who gave ideas or gave, you know, yeah. Um, and you don't know what you do, you don't know what you do, and you I'm, have I'm to not. Do something. You have to do something. Yeah, yeah. I find that very interesting. Not, you know, yeah. I mean, we are changing the world, <laughs> you know, but it is a bit kind of. There are moments where you go, wow, I didn't realise we would have that effect. Yeah, I think you see it all over. I, improv has completely changed my life. Yeah. Um, I, I, so I do not doubt that the impact of that uh, to audience, to people who attend workshops, to people who have just been around, I do think it's a transformational art form. I know yeah. that sounds silly, but I, I honestly do. I've met too many people where that's been the case. Yeah, and I, I think... I think, and what I like about it as a transformational art form, and I do I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you that it is that is that it is transformational for everyone. You know, it, it's such a truly collaborative experience because you cannot do it without the audience. I mean, you can, but it's kind of you know <laughs> why. Uh, you know, but you can't. 
you you wouldn't have the same experience without them because you wouldn't have the reaction mm -hmm. to feed from. Um, and they are as much a part of the creation as the people on stage are. And that's what's, I think, so uh, powerful about it is that it is a truly collaborative, creative experience. And everyone gets something from it. I mean, we had a guy who came to see Panther Cannon, which was basically just when we started doing it, it was just four of us mucking about because mm. we didn't know what we didn't really know what we wanted to do. We just wanted we were four people who liked hanging out with each other. So sure. we thought, let's let's do a show. And um and it was really really good fun. And there was a guy who came every month. We used to do it down at the um in Waterloo. And there was a guy who came every month and he was very nice, very quiet, didn't, you know, wasn't one of those fans. And then when we uh, stopped doing it down there because the venue um, wasn't very helpful, uh, <laughs> as, you know, as he thinks. As venues uh, as, tend to be. Yes. Uh, he, uh, he came up to us and he said, oh, I, I just wanted to say thank you because um, this, this has been the thing I look forward to every month. And we sort of went, oh, okay great uh, and he was like you know it really keeps me going and we were like oh right uh you know whereas for us it was just us literally mucking about and having a laugh and and then we did a, a christmas special at the pleasants and he came to it and he brought presents for us all and we oh, all sort wow. of went mate you really don't have to know was like no it was a really hard time in my life and it was and you guys knowing that this was happening every month kind of kept me going through that and i was just like Okay, and this is what I mean. You just don't know what you do, um, and and I don't think that that's I don't think that that is special to us. I think that is special to Impro. Mm. Like I think it it gives people a thing to look forward to, or a thing that they can, you know, really get into. And and because every show is different, they can keep coming back and and see something different while having the comfort of something familiar. Yeah, exactly. Which I think is really a lovely thing. Yeah, it's not like going to see a scripted show that you really oh. love because because after that you're like, well, that I'll never have that experience again. That's done now. Yeah, I can watch it a second time and see other things in it, but it's not the same as yeah as finding a group that you love. Yes, it's yeah. like the gift that can keep on giving. Then yeah, yeah, and I think that's that that's a, a wonderful thing that all groups who who do impro give that they don't necessarily know they give and they don't know they do. Mm, and that's just one that you know about. Yeah, exactly. Who knows the other ones? Uh, you know, I'd love to think there's more. Uh, partly because sometimes you think, oh, this job that I do is so, so stupid. And I'd really like it to have some meaning outside just, you know. Do you have that too where just every now and then you get like a bird's eye view of your own body and you think, oh, this is, I'm... Uh, oh, this is my job. The <laughs> yeah. best one we ever had was before we had mics. We were up in Edinburgh. Because uh, now, obviously, we can't do anything because we're always on mic. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it helps because it means you don't ever do any other talking and you just uh, you are listening because you are forced to. <laughs> um, but we had, it was me and, again, me and Sean on, on stage and we were doing something. We were sort of walking around as dinosaurs. And, and as we crossed, uh, Sean just turned to me and went, we're adults. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then carried on. And there are definitely moments like that where you're like, what am I doing? This is... Uh, actually, uh, last night, Justin and I had to do um, uh, like a music hall number that was just so ridiculous. And we came off stage and, and Justin went, we got paid to do that. <laughs> yeah, we did. Like, it's a kind of weird, weird thing. Yeah. My own, my story of watching you uh, that I've always, that I always wheel out when I'm teaching in class, actually, for the power of improv was... Uh, the Improvathon where you were Queen Victoria <sighs> yeah. and you were doing a, a eulogy because your husband had died. Oh, it's awful. And and he he was sitting next to me, the actor playing him, but he was in tears. I was in tears. You were in tears. The whole audience were. And it, and it did feel, it felt silly and real and heartbreaking all in that same moment. Yeah. And I was like, there's nothing else that does this. No. I mean, I know we hadn't slept for a long time, but yeah. that point, but <laughs> there's just nothing. It's so powerful and it's cathartic and it's Well and it's it's real in in especially in an improvathon, it's it's real in the in the in the most sort of true sense of that word because you you th those fifty hours, you kind of live a life. 
Um, and because you, you're immersed in this world, it becomes very real. And that's, I mean, it sounds very <laughs> psychologically dangerous. Um, but, and there is a little part of me um, that still believes I am Queen Victoria. Sure. And it's not, it's, it's not even like a, oh yeah, I'm Queen. No, I, I know I am her. I so was like, her for a long time. I was time. her for a very long time. I know her inside and out. Um, I know exactly what she was like. So when there's a new TV show, Victoria on now. Mm. I'm happy with it. <laughs> I'm like, guys, it guys, wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. Uh, that's not how it went. Um, so it's quite, it is quite interesting, but it does become very real. So when uh, in that Victoria and Albert one, um, we were having so much fun. That was part of the thing. That family w- was so much fun. So it was Jeff Haslam was Albert. Uh, Cariad was our daughter, uh, Princess Diana, obviously. <laughs> and uh, Kurt Smeaton was uh, Prince Bertie, who was our eldest son. And um, we just had the the best time. That's a good the team. Four, it's a nice it, it was a lovely family. And we were just laughing and we had an excitement bell that we rang all the time. <laughs> and we just, it was great. And then I said to Jeff, sort of, I don't know, about halfway through, I went, Please you don't die, will you? Just don't die, because I, oh, I really won't be able to deal with it. And he said, "Oh, I'm not planning anything." And uh, and I just went, "Okay." And I took that as he's not planning on dying. And, and he was listening in that moment, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he really was. Because then, when he did die, there there was a moment in it where I was because he died, you know, there on stage with me and I was saying to him you promised you wouldn't you promised you wouldn't and that was me saying that to Jeff as well as Queen Victoria saying to Albert and so there is a kind of there was a a genuine kind of realness to that reality Mm. it felt very real you know and 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 weird things like we talk about soap crushes where you have you get a weird crush on someone so there was another year where i was playing uh, carrie fisher and uh, of course course it was and mark mere was playing he was playing hunter s thompson but he came in to one scene as this character geek boy who um met carrie fisher at like a comic-con thing um and he, we were sitting in silence and then he just touched my boob. And then it became this amazing love story, this this crazy love story. As that, many love stories as, <laughs> just touched your boob. Like literally just one <laughs> finger. Like it was so unromantic. Um, but it became this beautiful love story um, that, you know, when I, I went to sleep uh, that year, I went, oh, I'm going to go and have... So we split up, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I had eight hours in bed. And um, and then when I came back, there were banners. There were banners hanging from uh, the the balcony saying, Carrie and Geek Boy forever. And, you know, like the people who've been there and were as sleep deprived as we were. Um, and there is a part of me that still has a massive crush on Geek Boy, not on Mark, but on Geek Boy. Sure. And I think it is the only art form that you can do that in and, and not, 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 not be sectionable. Yeah, because do you know what I mean? it's well, yeah, because when you're playing the love scene, you don't know what's coming next. No, you've not got a part of your mind that has all the the words scrolling down for you to say. You listen and you react to what they say, and you're you're genuinely touched by it. Yeah, uh, and delighted or yeah, or heartbroken by it. Yeah, it's completely different. And it's and and I think the the reason why the the touching bits and the moving bits are so touching and moving is because of that silliness. Yes. You know, because so with with Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple this year, <laughs> there was this crazy scene before they, like the scene was actually quite long because it started with Miss Marple uh, having a foul mouth tirade about him, not knowing that he could hear it because he was in the next compartment. Um, and, you know, it was just me ordering, I don't know, like, because oh, it was quite late ordering a, a bed made of swans and, you know, just stupid stuff. And then realising that he could hear me and sort of carrying on the tirade and then saying, why do you treat me like this? It's cruel. It's it's nasty. It's But, you know, it had been so crazy. And then you could almost see it filmically, like it's suddenly... You know, it was like a big wide shot that suddenly came into sharp focus of him saying, I'm just terrified. I'm so scared. And then it became this beautiful, tender scene between these two people who were terrified of love, um, but had just been, you know, so from the insanity, you or get bed of swans, you're bed of swans <laughs> you get the beauty and, and, the, and they highlight one another. Mm. 
Um, and you can do that in scripted work. Uh, of course you can. But it seems to come more naturally in improvisation just because of the, the, the very nature of what you are doing. It's the stuff I love the most. And I, yeah, people sort of saying improv doesn't have to be funny or some people saying improv always has to be funny. They're not mutually exclusive. No. They feed each other. Mm. And it's a sort of, a, a, I know, almost like um, uh, the, the, the beautiful stuff is like a pressure building up and which the laughter is the release, the plosive release of that. Yes. Yeah. And I think also if the funnier you've been, the more you earn your right to be sad or beautiful or tender or, you know, if you've been hilariously funny, the payoff is always that that truth, that honesty, that and the funny always comes from the from the truth, which is why when the beauty happens, everyone feels it because it's truthful out of what has been created. And I th- and that for me is the you know, the oh, moments are the ones that make me go, Oh yeah. And it all starts with doing something. It all starts with doing something. <laughs> cool. Well I'm very excited to give that gift to the robot. That one is going in. Roll number. Oh. Be fascinated. Be fascinated. Yeah, oh, be great. fascinated. Uh, this is Jeff Haslam. Mm-hmm. He uh, he said, just be fascinated, and and often it's be fascinated in the other improviser. You know, always be interested in what the other improviser is doing more than what you're doing. Um, but I think it extends beyond that. So when Jeff does this thing, I've seen him do it with people who are not not as experienced as him because he's been improvising for thirty whatever years you know he's amazing and I've literally seen him sit down and go that is fascinating and just but genuinely being fascinated not sarcastically fascinated not um not with any irony not with any comment on it just genuinely fascinated and the more fascinated he is in the other improviser the better they become yeah uh and that's it and when I wrote that down earlier, I wrote, be fascinated. And then I went, but be fascinated in everything. So the thing that frustrates me most is when, you know, you say, oh, uh, it's set in a a setting. And someone goes, well, I don't know anything about that. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do now uh, when, when this is finished? Are you going to go away and go, oh, I didn't know anything about that setting? Or are you going to go, oh, I'm going to go away and look that up? Go away and look that up. If the more fascinated you are in the world, the more fascinated you are in history, the more fascinated you are in art, the more fascinated you are in all the things that surround you, um, the better an improviser you'll be. Because you then have a larger bank of knowledge to draw from and to make stuff up from. And it's not to say that, you know, uh, like, so I remember we did a show that was set in the Bay of Pigs uh, and Pippa and I had no idea what that was. We didn't know that was the Cuban Missile Crisis. I do now, but I don't know the time. I do now, <laughs> you told me. So <laughs> right, exactly. So me and Pippa were like, well, okay. So we did a thing about a, a bay of pigs. Yeah. Um, that's not wrong. That's right. Yep. But then but then afterwards, you go away and you go, what is the bay of pigs? I'd really like to know what that is. Mm. You know, we, so we were watching something the other day. It was about Henry VIII. And uh, and I was suddenly like, I don't really know anything about this. Okay. So I went away and looked it up to work out who was he married to and who was this person and what does this mean and who is this person and what is it? You know, it's just just be open, be fascinated, learn stuff. Because the more you learn, the more you can give out. So make sure your characters are fascinated with everything, but then as a person, uh, as yeah. the improviser behind that, be fascinated with yeah. everything and, and use what happens and comes up in shows as uh, as a kind of a push to go and, and and look at that stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and also just in that moment on the stage, be fascinated in what you are learning. You yeah. Because you are learning something every time you get on a stage. And as soon as you stop learning, I think you should stop doing it. You know, anyone who sort of says they're a master at it or has nailed it or they're the people I'm most dubious of. I'm like, I don't know then. Because I don't think you can. No. I don't think you can master it because it's an, it's an unmasterable craft and and you can you can get very good at it. But as soon as you get good at it, you get bad at it. Um, so f- like this, this Edinburgh, so this was our ninth Edinburgh. Wow. And uh, I was... You know, I'm very good at faking it now so that the audience and even the other people on stage don't know that inside I'm going, oh, you are 
so bad. You're the worst improviser in the world. Because it's still happening. And that will always keep happening. Because you're raising your own internal bar. Exactly. Of what is good enough. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's, that's a good thing. That's a great thing. Um, you know, because then you can surprise yourself by, because you're pushing yourself, you'll do something you didn't know you could do. Do something. Uh, do something. You know, but you will do something you, you had no idea you were capable of doing. But you won't do that unless you are constantly being fascinated in what you can do, in what this person can do, in what the world does. And I think that's, it's so important. It's so important to want to know stuff. Because you're, a, as an improviser, you must be searching for something. Yeah. Right? Otherwise, why? why? are you going on this kind of crazy <laughs> process? It's not for painful. the financial gain. No, no, it's really not. <laughs> it's not. And it's kind of, yeah, it's not for the financial gain. And you're doing it. Why are you doing it? Like what? And, and be fascinated in that. Be mm. fascinated in... In your own motivations. Yeah. And know what they are and be okay with them. Because sometimes they'll be one thing and sometimes they'll be something else. And, you and know... The, yeah, they'll change through your career, right? I, yeah, I constantly. Imagine. Yeah. Constantly. And I mean, I think, um, you know, I can't speak for all groups because I, I don't know all groups. But I know that part of Showstopper's thing is, is this ultimate drive for perfection mm-hmm. uh, that we all know is impossible. But it's that's the drive. That's the, the goal is to create perfect musical that just happens to be improvised so if that's your your goal how are you going to do that and the way you do that is being fascinated by the process fascinated by musicals fascinated by you know so at the moment hamilton is the one right i know oh, right? i love it oh my gosh uh, it's such an incredible musical and we love improvising it mm. because it's so freeing do and people shout out a lot a um, lot now yeah, yeah it, it was a slow burn uh, when we went to New York, we got it all the time, mm-hmm. obviously. So we had to find new ways of doing it that wasn't just, you know, how does the hot, the, the, the sun? Or, uh, so we we found new ways of doing it. And that's been really fun to do. But it is now uh, pretty much every show. I've gone down a bit of a Lin-Manuel Miranda rabbit hole. He's so amazing. Uh, yeah, because he's like, he's doing so much. And I just watched a documentary about In the Heights that was filmed before they knew whether they would win anything, you know, the process yeah, yeah. Of, of rehearsing for it and stuff. And it's just, and uh, my friends just bought me a a book of annot- the annotated Hamilton libretto where he kind of writes about, well, this is a reference to this hop, hop, hip hop, hop, hop thing. Hop, hop. Great. I'm this so white. Thing. Yeah. yeah this We're is all a so white. We're never going to yeah. get into Hamilton. We're all trying to work out how we can get in it. <laughs> it's the one one that's closed. The doors yeah. are closed. And, you know, maybe that's. Uh, I mean, the men are all right because you, you, at least one of you can be King George, but absolutely. the rest of us, <laughs> no way. Yeah, I love it. I, I it's love so that. good. We, um, well, yeah, we love it. We love it. Have you seen there's a thing, is it called Rap Genius or something? Andrew Pugsley uh, knows what it's called. I'm really terrible at it. Uh, I think it's something like Rap Genius, and it's like a it's a website that um, uh, deconstructs rap and right. lyrics and hip hop lyrics and and the rhyme schemes and the structures and the the kind of the flow uh, of it. Yeah, yeah, and he went down a three day rabbit hole of Hamilton because it's so dense. Like uh, it's so dense, and. And because obviously none of us have seen it, we've only heard it. Mm. And so we're missing half of the references. Because when you read this thing, it's like, oh, well, this person is actually also doubles up as this person Mm. in the second half. So when they say we fought for him or we fought... We fought with we him. We fought with him. It's, it's we fought with against him, but also side by side, side, by side with him. Yeah. I was like, that's so clever. Like all that stuff that you just don't get yeah. uh, from just listening to it. But yeah, it's so dense. Oh, I love it. Well, welcome love to it. Hamilton, Bart. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I could talk about it forever. Yeah, me too, unfortunately. Although, I think actually yesterday was the first time, oh, not yesterday, a couple of days ago, was the first time I've listened to it in order. Because for some reason, my um, my iTunes was just shuffling it as mm. standard, and I didn't know it was. And so people were talking about it, and I was going, that doesn't make any sense. I don't understand that. So I finally listened to it on Spotify all the way through, and I went... Oh, uh-huh. and then of course it got to the the dealing with the unimaginable, and yeah. I was just like, <laughs> I was going to say, oh, quiet, so quiet sad. uptown, like destroys oh, me every so time. So sad. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> Listen to it. <laughs> Rule number five: Don't be a dick about it. Great. That's uh, that's my one thing. Just don't be a dick about it. <laughs> <laughs> you can almost just let that one you stand. Can just let can't that we? one stand. 
I think in in everything, like, and it it works again. It's on so many levels. It's very easy to become so fascinated by it that it's all you talk about. Yeah, and people become very evangelical, and they become very evangelical about their way of doing it. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think that's useful because if you become evangelical about your way of doing it, then you're no longer being fascinated by other people's way of doing it. And I always say when I teach, like, this is what works for me. This is my way of doing it. This is uh, how I currently improvise. It doesn't mean it's right. It's not right for everyone. It doesn't mean there aren't better ways of doing it. I might discover a new way that makes me go, oh, this, you know. So for ages I taught yes to start with and now I teach through emotion to start with. Cause, and that works for some of my students but not for some other students. Mm-hmm. So it's all about like finding the thing that works for you. And if I was going, this is the only way to improvise, this is what you have to do, then it's like, well... Well, okay. I I just don't. That doesn't that doesn't do it for me. I'm so glad you said it. I mean, obviously, this podcast is about programming this robot. But what yeah. I hadn't really realised was a kind of a accidental side effect of it is that I'm getting to ask some of my favourite improvisers what the way they yeah. do improv is. I mean, I'm only just realising this now. It's almost like I'm just going through getting rules of improv from all these brilliant improvisers but that's just a sort of side effect from programming the robot yeah uh, but that's really great because that's what i get to do now i get to come and talk to people <laughs> about what works for them yeah and then i can it can challenge me you know and i'm trying to i'm trying to find people of all the different disciplines all the ways of doing it just to see see yeah. where the things that are similar and the things that are different and, and and why they work for those people yeah and i think as soon as you have because like, there's so many books about improv and and I don't get involved in any of the discussions on online ever because it's dangerous. It is. And I remember once someone asking about uh, what books are good. And I think I put, oh, I really like uh, Mick Napier's book. I really like it. Uh, Seen from the inside out. I think it's great. That was it. And then it started this whole thing about why some people thought it was terrible uh, and uh, John Monkhouse sort of came, came to my aid and was like, I think it's a great book. And then he got really torn apart. And I was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and it was, but it was very strange because because I was going, well, I'm not saying that's the only one you should read. And if you don't like it, don't read it. Mm. It's fine. But read it first and then tell me you don't like it. But you don't have to take anything from it. It just happened to speak to me and where I was at that moment. And it said things that I, absolutely agree with um but the problem with books this is the thing i've realized is because they're they're written down and so they are set and so they say this is this is the rule for this and you go but that rule only works sometimes sure so but because it's a book you can't talk about the the variations and the the gray areas the gray areas and all the bits because you have to write it so it becomes much more um, dogmatic in a way that probably the writer of that book doesn't mean it to be but they have to say something slightly dogmatic in order to sell their book absolutely and sell their course and so I get I get it I get it but it it can cause problems because then the people who read the book or who uh, you know then become a, a, a disciple of that particular thing then become more dogmatic than the person who wrote it in the first place and so because i've heard uh practitioners going oh no you know people who they go this person said to do this and they're like no no that's just one way of doing it i just said you could do that but you can do whatever you like with it and and they're much less kind of you know it must be this than the person who's read it um and i think so that that part of the not not being a dick like don't like don't just don't don't be a dick. It's not your way or the highway. Yeah, yeah, there's so many ways of doing it, and there are again more useful ways and less useful ways. But you find your own useful way that is not necessarily, you know, like for example, the big thing about not saying no, like never don't say no, and and actually that's that's not a that's not a good rule. No, it's a terrible rule because sometimes no is the biggest yes you can give, and. Uh, but if you've got it in your head, I can't ever say no. Then you're like, well, but you, you can, especially when you're doing something narrative. And then we have all these, you know, kind of, oh, this is a narrative and this is a short form and this is a long form. But it's not a long form narrative. It's like, it's like just make some stuff <laughs> up. <laughs> you know, I know that uh, well, I've had it a few times in a couple of groups. Where they're like, so what's your format? And I'm like, oh, we're just going to make some stuff up. <laughs> I don't, I don't have one. I'm sorry. I, I just don't. And 
don't see a problem with that. I don't see a problem with having a format if it frees you. I see a problem with having a format if it constricts, constricts you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I think the other thing, you know, not to be, I mean, partly don't become an improv bore where all you talk about is improv. And, you know, and it's really hard because it's very exciting, especially when you start. You're like, I found this thing and it's changed my life. And it's, you know, and it does change your life. It absolutely does. But it but it also can be a thing that you go, I can't be an improviser now. I have to go to the bank or I have to. And if you were an improviser all the time, you'd you'd be awful. I mean, you'd be an awful person who people would avoid, you know, Um because sometimes it's not a helpful yeah. thing to be and you have to be an, an adult about it, even though you have a childlike sense of play and all those things, you do still have an adult life. And, you know, and I think also when it when it becomes your job, it, it's that very interesting thing of your hobby or the thing you love doing becoming your job, then you have a very different relationship to the thing you love. Yeah. Like I love improvisation, but it is my job. Yeah. So I have a very different a very different viewpoint about it than someone who does it at the weekends because they love doing it. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just different. You know, they're just different. There's no value judgment on which is better or which is, they're just different. Yeah. And I think, and then, and then the other thing is don't, don't be, don't be a dick on stage. Don't be the person that no one wants to play with. Cause you'll, yeah. you'll know. Yeah. You'll, you'll know when, when you're being. It would be kind of, it would sort of creeping realization. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm the dick. Oh, okay. There's definitely groups that I've played with where there's been a guest who's the trickier guest and someone will go, how are you finding that? And I'm like, well, I actually find it really exhilarating because it gives you a different thing to bump off. I mean, if you were doing it long term, then I can imagine it would yeah, become... For one really, night only. Yeah, one night only. This is great. <laughs> uh, you know, but also it's about the person when you are the more experienced improviser... It's also about not being a dick then. Yeah. Like going, well, I can learn as much from this person who is their first ever gig as they can learn from me. Yeah. I'm a I'm a better improviser when I'm when I'm improvising with someone who's new because I I'm suddenly so aware and I really want Yeah. yeah. And and when I'm not and when I play with people who are way better than me, I I fall apart, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I'm like, this is so important. Gotta, just, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's a weird thing. And the, But the weird thing is, is that you know what it's like to be to be that improviser who's helping out the less experienced improviser. But then being the less experienced improviser, you can't go, I wonder if they're enjoying it as much as I yeah. enjoy it when I am them in relation to. But you, there's some Too much block, thinking there. Too much yeah. thinking. Yeah. Whereas actually you should just be going, okay, let's let's see what happens when this person is, you know. And you can't always just get drunk beforehand. That doesn't work. Oh no. Oh, I remember I remember doing one show drunk. Not not showstopper. You cannot do show. <laughs> Imagine not. It's the worst hell on earth. Um but I remember having like having a couple of drinks. This because I don't really drink anymore, but this, I used to and uh and I remember a couple of drinks and then just being on stage going, oh, no, this is terrible. This is terrible. <laughs> the best one was we. it was really early on with Scratch, which was the group I had. And it was me and Pippa. Um, I think Chris Ash was there. And then the other guys. Uh, <laughs> we were at this late night cabaret in Edinburgh. It was awful. There was like a close up magician. It was terrible. <laughs> and we were getting drunker and drunker, but really like being nice. And then he was just a bit, he was a, he was a bit of a dick about it. <laughs> Pippa was so drunk. She just went to him, Oh, we were just being nice. We can all see what you're doing. <laughs> 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 just like, oh. And then we had to, we were the last act on the headline. And we were like, Pippa could barely stand. <laughs> I mean, I sort of remember it as an amazing gig, but I think sure. watching it would probably have been. <laughs> Yeah. really painful but yeah you can't be drunk and no. do it it doesn't uh you know i used to do my sketch stuff and my stand-up stuff when i first went up to edinburgh i used to do that after after a gin sure but i couldn't do improv improv oh, after. yeah oh man yeah okay i think that all factors into not yeah. being a dick i think it all factors in yeah because it's not fair on the people you're playing with more than anything yeah yeah totally and it's not fair on your family when all you talk about is improv and it's not fair on, you know, none of it's... Yeah, when you spoke about that, I see, I see myself in that. Oh, I do as well. Especially in my first two or three years. I just loved it so much and I wanted to tell everyone about it. And I, yeah, and I still do. 
Yeah. Oh, I still do. I definitely still do. And you, it is an evangelical. I mean, this, even this, like I was like, right, we don't, don't rattle on for ages. But you do because you get excited by it and you're talking about something that is unexplainable and, and you're trying to explain something that is constantly changing. That's why it's so interesting and that's why it becomes so difficult not to talk about it because it's constantly evolving and your relationship to it is constantly evolving and and the way you feel about it and the way you think about it and, you know, like your ways into it are constantly changing and, and your challenges that you set yourself are constantly changing. And once you've sort of past one challenge that you set yourself you'll set yourself another one and then you'll set yourself another one and and so because it's always evolving you're you always have something to talk about yeah you always have something to talk about i mean it's almost like i'm taking this vast wonderful thing and trying to digitize it into a kind of a discrete set of five rules maybe i'm on hiding to nothing here but you know i live in optimism <laughs> So let me take your last rule, which was don't be a dick about it. <laughs> Put that into the robot there. We're going to flip it back over again. Okay. Do you have a name for the robot? I think it should be called Dick. Yep. <laughs> it, it's a he this time. I think it is. It must, well, I mean, it could be a girl called Dick. It's yeah. a girl called Dick, like a boy a, called Sue. Sure. Okay. A girl called girl. Dick. And I've, there's a big red button I've built into the middle there okay so do you want to turn it so on press it yeah. <laughs> i love that i'm actually pressing it yeah. <laughs> powering up i am powering up Ooh. okay power, that's the powering up that's sequence powering up. downloading performance matrix one attention not tension two listen three do something four be fascinated five don't be a dick about it Self-diagnostic activated. Warning. Tension detected. I am too tense. Solution. Relax all internal mechanisms. He's a bit loose. She's a bit loose. Oh, oh that that is not meant to have fallen off. Alright, oh the other oh. bit's fallen off. Oh. Oh, I'm oh. so sorry about your carpet. <laughs> oh no, no, it's okay. <laughs> What's that over there? Oh, God, it's, it's got really fascinated by something over there. That looks amazing. But that thing looks amazing, too. And now it's just walking off. In two separate directions. Amazing. I will go and see both things at once. Oh. Oh. Got, I'm so sorry, I've ruined your robot. That's okay. It's gone. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I guess we're not going to be doing any scenes this week, right? No. Oh. It tried. <laughs> it got too fascinated and too loose, too fast. <laughs> we can. Tr I'll try again. Try, I'll again. try again. I love that it's even its demise was really loose. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was kind of a low key. Yeah. Like, so it was. So we're getting there, right? Getting it's progress. There. It, it did progress. at least learn. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Oh uh, well. I'm so sorry that that worked. That was so bad it's at okay. the end. There. I'll, I'll clean up the oil from the carpet later. <laughs> I will pay the podcast because, like improv podcasting <laughs> is a big money maker so I'll, I, all laundry bills are on me um and uh, i just want to thank you so much for coming on this podcast it's been Aww. such a delight it's been really fun thank you if people would like to find you on the internet <laughs> or all your groups i mean obviously showstopper but uh, yeah so showstopper i think it's showstopper.org showstoppertheMusical.org I don't know but if you go to The Showstoppers on Twitter at The Showstoppers mm -hmm. um, at Ruth Bratt is me I just, I just used my own name uh, foolishly as no brilliantly I would say <laughs> um, and that's really where I am on the internet that's kind of that's kind of me I am on Facebook but my privacy settings quite high sure after uh, the Radio 4 series because people find you yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. they tell you what they think Twitter's the, the way for people to interact yeah Twitter's a really good way to mm. interact I think uh, I don't really go on Facebook either well there we are no yeah. point trying no to stalk point. you there I mean you can get me uh, but it don't takes a while that. oh no don't don't get me don't get yeah, me <laughs> Facebook no Twitter use Twitter. Twitter yeah fantastic well thank you so much thank you very much and I hope to see you the listener back with us next week for another edition of Yes Spot until then cheerio bye thank you for listening to Yes Spot you can talk to me on Twitter at YesBot5000 hey why not join our listeners group at 
facebook.com slash group slash yesbotclub. You can also email me on yesbot5000 at icloud.com. Your host was Chris Mead. Find him at Mr. Chris Mead on Twitter. The Yesbot theme was composed and engineered by Fred Deakin. Yesbot logo and graphics by Kind Studio. What's next?